0: your fascination with soil and in particular peat the best soil of all led you to ireland for a year studying peat bogs your efforts reinforced your love of the bogs and the importance of sustaining them but it also reinforced for you the beauty of the irish people you're listening to 2233 a podcast of exchange stories
1: Walking in a bog is a really interesting experience. Your foot sinks into the ground. You can't stand in one spot in a bog for too long because you sink. You know, you you'll step on and you think like, okay, my foot squished a little bit, but I'm fine here. And you look down a minute later and you're up to your ankle. You know, you could just keep sinking.
0: This week, the world's most exciting soil, the cutting and burning of turf, and pulling an all-nighter in the middle of a bog. Join us on a journey from Iowa to Ireland and full immersion into the Irish bogs. It's 2233. We report what happens in the United States, warts and all. Exchanges shape to who I am. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them, they are people very much like ourselves. And oh, that's what we call cultural exchange. Ooh,
1: yes. My name is Emily Toner. I'm originally from Iowa, it's where I grew up. I'm a soil geographer and a multimedia producer, along with writing. I am a Fulbright National Geographic Digital Storytelling Fellow, and I spent the last year in Ireland looking at peat bogs. <laughs> So when I was going to college in Iowa State University, I was on track to become a journalist and I was in a natural resources class. A professor came in and gave this fascinating lecture about soil. And I had never really thought about soil before. You know, we walk around on it all day, but you don't really think about it as something interesting. And he just piqued my curiosity You know, I just started learning more and more about soil, and I switched my major to agronomy, which is a word I had never even heard of. And from there, I went on to graduate school to geography and became very much engaged with how culture and soil are connected. Wherever you're living, the soil has impacted your life no questions asked. The type of food you can access, the look of the landscape, the color of things is all based in and around the soil in some way. But we also as people and our different cultures around the world are really impacting the soil as well. The state I grew up in, Iowa, a lot of our soil has been eroded over the last 50, 100 years. There's a really interesting soil story that I wanted to look at and tell. Peat soil is the type of soil that drew me there. And from a soil science perspective, peat soil is like crazy awesome. (laughs) You know, I don't think people look at many soils and they're like, that is so cool. Look at that soil. But from a soil scientist perspective there's a lot of ways that peat is an extreme soil and it's just such an outlier <music> peat bogs in Ireland started forming 10,000 years ago when the last glacier retreated from the island. The lake basins that would have been carved out by the glacier over time grew and filled in with plants and peat soil is dead plants that haven't decomposed and in Ireland bogs and peatlands cover 20 percent of the country so there's a really big soil cultural story there that's a large proportion of land to be covered by peat soil and bogs 20 percent that's a fifth a fifth of anything means that it's going to be really impactful on what life is like there. But of that 20%, almost all of it has been drained and degraded. So there's a big story there about the environmental impact that culture, this culture is having on their soil. From my perspective as a soil geographer, bogs and their peat soil are very special. And a lot of people in Ireland also think bogs are very special places, very valuable places. But uh, often we might disagree about why they're special and valuable. You know, I saw really unique soil And I was concerned about the health of that soil and the fact that it was being degraded because it's a really valuable resource as well. I wanted to talk to people who were using bogs as a resource and understand their perspective and their connection to this landscape. I think often in environmental issues, especially when you feel passionately about something, maybe that's climate change for you or water quality or just anything that when you look at it and you feel panicked about the state of the environment or a resource, very rarely do we have the opportunity to then say, I have the time and the resources and the emotional fortitude and patience to go and spend time with the people that I think are damaging this resource. The Fulbright National Geographic Storytelling Fellowship enabled me to go spend 10 months interacting with and understanding the perspective of people who were treating a resource pretty much the exact opposite as I would want to do. One of the first things I wanted to do was meet people who actually, they're called turf cutters, and they go out and drain bogs extensively so that they, and so it's a wetland, so as soon as you drain it, you've completely altered it as an ecosystem. They drain it so that they can cut out the soil and burn it. And that's a huge part of traditional Irish culture, and it's one that has been industrialized over time. The earliest documentation of that was something like 7th century AD. So it's, you know, it's a big part of the culture there. In Ireland, it's actually one of the only indigenous fuel sources. They don't have coal. They have very few trees at this point. So if you're looking for a fuel, if you're living in a rural landscape and you need something to burn to heat your house or cook your food, peat soil and turf was one of the only things out there. But, you know, as we know with fossil fuels and this sort of energy transition we're going through, we're trying to get away from extracting and burning things onto renewable. And in the case of the bogs, extracting and burning the peat soil is really doing irreparable damage. That peat soil took thousands of years to form, and it's carbon that was stored there and now it's being released and, and once you damage a bog to a certain extent it just won't be a bog anymore. Bogs are a formative part of Irish culture and geography. There's just so many ways they're embedded. If you think of some of the rustic images of Ireland, Some of them are like donkeys with baskets on their back walking down a dirt road, and those donkeys are usually carrying turf. Bogs have made it difficult to travel across Ireland, and so a lot of the transportation has involved either circumventing bogs or finding a way to cut through a bog. Some of the oldest artifacts that you find deep in a bog are wooden roads that people tried to build to get across and it's really cool because the wood is preserved because the bog preserves organic material. One man I met, his name is Kevin Barry and I had sought him out actually not because he's a turf cutter but because he had discovered a 2000 year old body in the bog and that's a whole nother story bogs are incredible time capsules with these artifacts from our past that get preserved because of the low oxygen conditions so if you don't know about bog bodies you gotta look it up they're fascinating so i heard about this man because he had accidentally scooped one of these bodies out of the bog And the reason he was in that position is because his whole livelihood is tied up in driving machinery on the bogs. He's worked for different companies. He harvests his own peat every year to heat his home. So I went out to the bog with him. He taught me a lot about the process of turf extraction, but as we were chatting, he ended up talking to me for a long time about how worried he was about his community. He told me that There used to be a lot more pubs. There were only two left. There used to be two shops now. There was only one. In every house, his estimate was that two or three of the jobs in that household had been related to bogs. Extracting the turf, footing the turf, driving the machines, making products from the peat that's harvested. In this past year that I was in Ireland, there were a lot of headlines about jobs in the bog going away because Ireland has now stopped subsidizing peat extraction. And that's because they want to subsidize instead renewable energy sources. So Kevin Barry was really worried that the next generation in his town would have no jobs because they were losing one of their main forms of industry in this town. You know, from my perspective, the end of peat extraction is a great thing. From his perspective, his town was crumbling. I think people in Ireland do not see bogs or peat soil as a scarce resource. So even if you know every scoop of soil I take and burn is a scoop that will never come back, in your head there are a million scoops left. So he saw it as a resource there to be used and one that could fuel the local economy. Traditional Irish attitudes towards bogs are that they are backwards, useless places. If you're from an area around a bog, that is something to be embarrassed about. They've been seen as something that is not desirable. Just like the word swamp is used in a very negative connotation. How many times have you heard in the political context, drain the swamp? Same thing, drain the bog. But if you want the peat soil to stay there, the wetland ecosystem, draining the bog is like the worst thing. Let's say you have a beautiful, pristine, healthy peat bog and you begin to cut it, drain it, and otherwise degrade it. What is going to happen in that landscape One thing that will happen is that the carbon that is held there, huge amounts of carbon, becoming carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. In Ireland, drained bogs are releasing as much carbon dioxide as the transportation sector. The water quality will be impacted. When bogs are degraded, the water runs through them faster and it's not filtered and a lot of things are coming out with it because it's just eroding. Burning peat is also a polluting thing to do to your community, and air quality suffers. There is research that came out of the National University in Galway showing that burning peat raises particulate levels in the air above World Health Organization standards, which can result in all sorts of human health issues. So, yeah, there's a lot of follow-on effects. That's not even to speak of the wildlife. That's all human-focused. Birds are one of the groups of organisms that kind of suffer the most when these bogs go away because there are certain birds that need to breed in the bog. And so as you shrink the bog habitat, they have less and less breeding ground. And there's, yeah, no faster way to get rid of a bird population than take away their breeding ground. When the industrialized peat harvest happens, it wipes out a bog in a matter of decades. Whereas turf cutting at the individual level has been happening for centuries and feasibly could continue on for a while longer, much longer than industrial cutting. But, you know, ultimately that turf cutting, even at the individual scale, will wipe out a bog. A bog will add only a millimeter of new growth and new peat soil every year. So it takes a thousand years for a meter to form. In one season, you cut several meters deep into the bog. So you're taking the resource resource far faster than it will regenerate. And the other thing is the ecologists I spoke to who are doing some restoration work they're very aware that the climate we're in now is very different than the climate that those bogs formed under. And you can re-wet these places, but there's really no guarantee that they will continue to be bogs or could regenerate as a bog after they're damaged. <laughs> ¶¶ somebody i met and spent some time with because he really surprised me. He's a bog ranger. He works for the National Park Service in Ireland. Here are a couple of things i knew about him. I knew that his first job with National Parks was to hand dig dams to reblock drains on bogs. So he spent 4 to 5 years digging by hand into the peat soil and blocking miles and miles of drains that had been dug on one bog in particular. It's the largest bog of its kind in Western Europe. So I was like, wow, here's a guy who is dedicated to restoring the bogs. And after that, that was from 1995 to 1999, he was doing that. From 99 up until today, he was promoted to ranger in that area. So he actually covers multiple um, places, but he is ranger of this bog now. That bog needed to be restored because it had been cut over the years. And his job as ranger became enforcing the new laws that told people to stop cutting. And he lives in the town nearby. So he has to say to his neighbors, you know, that longstanding tradition that you see as your right Sorry, you can't do that anymore. So not only has he done hard labor for years to restore this bog, he put himself on the front lines of conservation, basically, and, and jeopardized his personal life in a way because people in this town did not take kindly to that information. And I was chatting with him, and I just... I almost thought, like, could I use him as a character in a story to show the level of dedication and to tell someone's story who really had to face the complexity of what it means to preserve these bogs? And in the course of our conversation, I learned that he also burns turf to heat his home. And it just floored me. I couldn't believe you would spend that much effort and all of that time and put yourself even at risk and yet you still cut the bogs. and so what I learned from him and I asked him why and so what I learned when he answered why do you why would you do these two things that to me seem so dissonant and he said oh I love a turf fire and also he said that he did not see the bog where he cut turf. So he's not cutting the bog he preserved. The bog where he cut turf, he sees as sort of a wasteland. It's been cut for years. There's very little of the true bog ecosystem there. And he knows what that ecosystem is because he monitors it. He counts the birds on this preserved bog. As opposed to the wasteland type of peatland where he cuts, he sees this bog he helped preserve as this gem. This pristine place where birds can thrive and, you know, the special ecosystem of a bog is alive. Those two things can live in his head at the same time. I really, I guess, got the lesson from him that when you're entering a new culture, your view as an outsider is just going to be so different. a lot of stories that warn children away from the bogs. When they were wetter places, so many are dried now because of drainage, but when they were wet, they're quite dangerous. And um, you don't want a kid wandering into a bog. They could slip into an, you know, a bog pool or a spot that they think is solid and they step on it and it's actually you can slip into a hole of water so yeah there are stories trying to keep kids off of bogs this one community had a bog slide and it happened over a hundred years ago and this happens every now and then it's called a bog burst and a bog i don't know exactly why it happens but a bog can slip as a whole mass and move across the landscape. And in this one place, I think it was in County Kerry, a bog slid and covered an entire house, and everybody in the house died. And they're still talking about this story. And I even heard a politician reference the story. So it's really ingrained in their local memory and history. In the political context I heard it brought up in, was about restoring the peatlands because we're talking about re them and this politician was f- afraid for himself and also he thought the perception of people in his community would be that we're bringing back these dangerous wet places have you thought about if that's going to create more bog slides or bog bursts that kind of thing because back in the day one of this this family died instance I was recording an oral history and this woman tickled me (laughs) because she was telling me a nursery rhyme that ends in tickling and she I was it was biodiversity week in Ireland and I had partnered with this community who is doing a lot of work to restore their bog and make it into a place people want to visit to go outside and have a walk and walk your dog of fresh air And they wanted to lift up the older memories that people had of the bog and bringing in a National Geographic storyteller was a way to get people to come out and tell their stories. So that was that was fun for me. It was great way to do the work. And the first woman who sat down to talk to me, she wanted to tell me this nursery rhyme that her mother had said to her often as a girl. And the thing that stuck with her, I think she had a large family, a lot of siblings. But when her mom sang this bog rhyme to her, she was 100% focused on her. And the cadence of the rhyme is very slow because she's trying to scare you and this bog nursery rhyme was a time when she had her mother's undivided attention and that was very special to her and i okay i don't know the whole rhyme by heart but it was about the snipe which is a bog bird and how this poor snipe is like poor old snipey out on the bog all nighty something like that and that this bog is lost, and it ends with the person who's, like, drawing you into this poor story of the bird by jumping at you and tickling you. And so I was not expecting that. I'm not going to jump at you and tickle you right now. <laughs> I was just, I try to be very silent, as you are. It's hard to, to be on the opposite end when you're not going to include your own voice. So I was just like, oh what's going on but it was a nice recording because she was singing this nursery rhyme to me have a couple of supplies that I gathered that would always come with me when I went out to the bog. Wellies being one of the primary ones, so knee-high rubber boots. And I have a camera that is water-resistant and can take macro images because a lot of things on the bog are really small. So, you know, I had these different supplies that I wanted to take with me out to the bog. And I chose a small-ish town in the Midlands of Ireland. It's I wanted to be out where there are a lot of bogs. Bog regions tend to be a little more rural and that's actually related to the bogs. It's hard to develop land that's totally saturated. had a lot of moments where i was in a beautiful landscape because bogs are wetlands but they're also everywhere in ireland so i could do a mountain hike or i could do a coastal cliff trail and i would run into peat soil i was in some incredible landscapes thin rocky peninsulas miles long that you could do loop walks on it was so great each time i would stop and have this breathtaking view i would just think like i wish my family and friends were here to experience this with me that almost brought me to tears because I felt like the work and my life were f- was flowing so well and was so synced up with the community. So I had this crazy idea to go spend 24 hours in the bog. I just, I wanted to get a full day and I thought that could be a nice storytelling hook to get people interested in little bog plans and that sort of thing. So I spent 24 hours and I recorded different community members who came to the bog and their connection. And then I wove it into this fun, entertaining presentation that I did the the following week. I mean, why would anybody show up to that? I don't know. It was a total risk. But the reason that we actually had a full house for it, so the visitor center audio room holds about 50 people and all the seats were filled, was because of all the different people I had built relationships with and as I was sharing these stories from my 24 hours on the bog and looking at the different people in the audience I felt really proud because people showed up for me and they were interested in the stories I wanted to tell it was a reflection that we were able to build a real connection and I was just telling stories about the bogs but by the end of the presentation I was so full of this like good energy and pride about my experience that I almost started crying which is not really appropriate when you're just talking about the bogs but I felt you know that that really sense of success about the whole thing It's a a lot of time. Like, when do you have 24 hours to do anything? You know, let alone go out and spend it in this ecosystem, asking people how they think about it, how they're connected to it. I got to experiment with all these different types of storytelling that day. I had my audio equipment. We had different types of cameras. I did my first time-lapse of the sunrise. That project, spending 24 hours in the bog, was an embodiment of the opportunity that I had received through the Fulbright National Geographic Storytelling Fellowship. It was actually kind of a tough day because we got up at 2.30 in the morning. I had a friend who was doing it with me and when we got out to the bog at 3 a.m., it was really cold and dark and my cords were all tangled and, you know, I was just like, I don't know, maybe we should go back to sleep. And by the end of the day, I was like on a high. It was... Every experience, every beautiful thing we captured. There was a tour of kids that we got to follow, the community member whose grandfather had been one of the first to organize turf cutting in the bog that is now preserved. It was just so meaningful. And yeah, by the end of that day, I just felt, I felt like I was a uh, I was on a high.
0: This week, Emily Toner shared stories from her Fulbright National Geographic Digital Storytelling Fellowship, studying the bogs of Ireland. For more about Fulbright and other ECA exchange programs, check out eca.state.gov. We encourage you to subscribe to to 2233. You can do so wherever you find your podcasts. and We'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at ecacollaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov photos of each week's interviewee and complete episode transcripts can be found at our webpage at eca.state.gov 2233 and check us out on instagram at 2233 stories special thanks to emily for her stories and her uncanny passion for soil i did the interview and edited this segment all the featured music tar and spackle bridge walker uncertain ground town market and villano or by Blue Dot Sessions. Music at the top of the episode was Sebastian by How the Night Came, and the end credit music is Two Pianos by Tagir Until next time.